Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. If someone asks you, what did you do on Sunday? I went to, you know, stuff. I went to church on Sunday. You went to church? Yeah, I went to church. What's it to you? When your peers, your countrymen, start to throw stones at you, you're in an uncomfortable place. Such was the case for Jeremiah, we discover in chapter 11, as Dr. Corbett looks at the prophet's price. Oh God, speak to me today. Help me to hear your voice clearly. Oh God, if there's anything in my life that is not for my good, not enabling me to live the kind of significant life that you have designed and planned and created for me to live, then please change that in my life. Let something be said. Let me hear something today. Let me even see something today that will improve my life so that I can live the kind of life that you've placed me on this planet to live. Now, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Use this preacher today to speak to my soul. I pray. Amen. We're in Jeremiah chapter 11. And this is the end of the first section of the book of Jeremiah, where the opening section has been looking at the call of Jeremiah, how Jeremiah was called by God. And we've looked at some of the issues that Jeremiah had to deal with in dealing with God's call on his life. And we're now coming to the close of this section and we're going to see some of the thoughts that I've shared with you by way of preamble, are going to come out in this passage as well. So this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known and has become known as the weeping prophet. So Jeremiah, this is the 26th message we've done so far in this series on Jeremiah. And in this section from verses 14 to 23, we're going to see the price Jeremiah paid. I was almost going to say had to pay, but we're going to discover he paid it. He was prepared to pay the price of being a prophet. This is called the prophet's price. And you're going to see the toll that Jeremiah endured in in doing what God wanted him to do. And I don't think it's going to be too difficult for us to see how this is relevant to our own lives as well what did jeremiah discover in in being a prophet well he discovered that god speaks the most common prayer i pray is oh god i want to hear your voice and there have been some significant times and i've heard the voice of god and you know spiritually speaking sometimes you see much clearer when you close your eyes i don't know what you do when someone says let's pray but my reflex action is to close my eyes you see spiritually you see much clearer when you close your eyes and spiritually you probably hear much better when you stop listening to to what people are saying and start listening to what god is saying jeremiah discovered that god speaks what a what an amazing privilege and jeremiah also discovered that god showed him things you know this whole thing of close your eyes and you can see more clearly well there were times when jeremiah closed his eyes and he saw things that he never saw with his eyes open there are times when when that became so overwhelming that even when he had his eyes open, he saw what God wanted him to see. And we saw that in the opening two chapters of this book of Jeremiah. 
We also see that there were times when people wanted to take Jeremiah's life and Jeremiah experienced God's protecting. He experienced that. And we're going to see a little bit of that in a moment. What an amazing privilege to know that while you're serving God on God's mission, you are spiritually and at times physically invincible. And Jeremiah experienced that. What an amazing privilege. Jeremiah would have experienced those times when he was so low. In fact, we know he was very low at times, when he was in what we might call today clinically depressed, where he experienced the depth of, of what he describes as feeling just utterly dried out. He, he experienced this, this, this sense of being burnt out. He experienced that. And then within, within a breath of sharing how he felt like that, he, he describes how God's presence came upon him like fire filling his bones. And he was once again on fire with a passion for God. What an amazing privilege to walk with God and experience that. I'd, I'd, I would just, I think I would love it if every time I feel dry and burnt out, I could just push a button and I'd, I'd rekindle back up. And Jeremiah was in a special place where he experienced what we call being on fire for God. So Jeremiah found that serving God carries great privilege, great privilege. You hear from God. You, you, while others wonder, is there a God, you, you are not left wondering. And I was thinking about this in preparing this. I, I've now been a Christian 32 years. And, this, and I was pondering this. I am now more convinced that the Bible is God's word than I was when I started out on my journey with Christ. And when I became a Christian, I was pretty convinced this was God's word. Now I'm utterly convinced. And I've encountered people with all kinds of doubts and questions who've thrown those things. Well, you know, how could there be a loving, kind God if there's so much evil, tragedy and suffering in the world? And, and I read scripture and I don't read of a God who denies that. I don't read of a God who is powerless to prevent that. I read of a God who entered into that. I read of a God who, you talk about evil, tragedy and suffering and death... I'm going to tell you, yeah, and God knows intimately what's that like. He felt it when he was nailed to the cross. What did God do about evil, tragedy, suffering and death? He gave his life for it. So those kind of objections to me don't rock my faith. They strengthen my faith. And as uh, was it Amos 5 where Amos says, you, you run from God and you encounter a lion. You run from the lion and you encounter a bear. You run to your home, put your hand on the wall and you get bitten by a snake. In other words, you run from God thinking, I don't need God in my life and you encounter something far worse. What does the atheist do who says, I can't believe that there's a God while there's suffering, tragedy, death and pain in this world? Well, well okay, don't believe in God. Now what are you going to do? Do you feel better? I mean, are you, are you comforted by the thought that, the, that you, you will not draw comfort from the only one in the universe who can give you comfort? How does that work? How are you any better off? You're not. You're actually worse off. So these things haven't rocked my faith. They've strengthened my faith. When people have made accusations that this is just written by man, I tell you, we've been looking at the prophet Jeremiah here, and there is absolutely no critic of Jeremiah who, who 
says with any credibility, this book was written after the event. Even, even the most hostile critics to the Bible acknowledge this was, there was, this was actually Jeremiah. It was actually written during his lifetime, some around about the 6th century BC. What he wrote, he wrote about that time. And this prophet, he spoke of events that would take place within 20 years of his writing. And history records that they did. He spoke of events that would take place 600 years after his writing, 500 or so years after his writing. And they did. And we've got to ask the question, how did he do that? He claims God told him. And the evidence seems to back that up. What an amazing privilege to be a prophet. Jeremiah knew the privilege of serving God, a great privilege. But this is what Jeremiah also found. But it comes at a great price. Sometimes I have people say to me, I don't know how you get so much done. I don't know what to say to people. But if they saw how I got it done, they'd probably go, you can have it. Because while other people are playing computer games, I, I, this is nothing against, if, if, you're, you know, if you're representative of Bill Gates here or the Sony Corporation or anything like that, this is not a slur on computer games generally, but I don't play computer games. I, don't, I, just, I, I haven't got time. I've, I've got to get on with things. While, while others can kind of chill through their weekends, I'm sweating through my weekends. I'm getting things done. This is, this is what we're about to do now is about 25 hours of work for me. And, I, and I've got to get that done. And I've got to be up past midnight most nights of the week to, just to keep up. I'm not complaining because I never complain. <laughs> Even though I've got a lot to complain about. I won't ever hear me complain. Oh, not me. No way. But I could tell you. Anyway. <laughs> but it comes at a price. Other people can just kind of scoot off and take weekends off. I can't, not because I can't, I don't want to. It comes at a price though. It comes at a great price. And Jeremiah, we're going to see the price that he had to pay in order to serve God. So this is the prophet's price. And as we read in verse 14, we're going to see this is the second time in the first 11 chapters that Jeremiah has been told, do not pray for this people do not pray for this people and this thought might be lost on you but let me perhaps inform you that a prophet had two roles the two roles of a prophet were to speak the word of god and intercede for people that's what a prophet does a prophet speaks god's word prays for people so when god tells the prophet don't do that one speak my word but don't pray for them It's a staggering, it's a shocking, it's a scandalous thing for God to say that. And we have to ask the question, why is God saying that here? Why is he saying it? Let's read the verse. It's on the screen if you haven't brought your Bible with you. Who hasn't brought their Bible with them today? No no shame, no shame. Shame on you, disgrace. (laughs) Home group leader, not bringing his... Anyway, no. For Jeffrey's sake, I've put the scriptures on the screen. We're a church of grace. (laughs) forgiveness and mercy and therefore do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf for i will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble wow god's not going to listen what what, how bad does the situation have to get for god to say i'm not going to listen to the prayers of jeremiah 
in a moment, or not in a moment, but, but later on in the book, we're going to read, um, actually we read in, in Ezekiel, who came just a little bit, he, he lived around about the same time as Jeremiah, he was about 20 years younger than Jeremiah, and he's actually going to make a similar statement, and, and it's a statement that, that goes like this, if, if Noah, Job, and Daniel prayed for these people, I wouldn't listen to them. Wow. He says it, I think, twice, uh, the prophet Ezekiel. So these people were in a really, really bad spiritual position. Here's a a, a quote uh, from a a commentary written in 1888, and it's the best commentary I've ever read on the prophet Jeremiah. And this is the, the thought of this commentator. He says this, They must not reckon on the successful prayers of others for them so long as they refuse to pray for themselves. It's a profound thought that we can pray for people, pray for people, pray for people to be saved. But until that person prays to be saved, they won't be saved. We can pray for God to change your heart, for God to change your heart, or God change your heart, but until you yield to what the effect of that prayer is having on your life, and you pray, oh God, change my heart. Your heart will never be changed. And here God is really saying to the prophet Jeremiah, you can pray all you like for them, but they are never going to pray what you're praying. So you might as well just stop praying. We need to wipe the slate clean. We need to let these people know, you don't mess with me. This is important because this is God dealing with not just a random nation. This is God dealing with a nation that voluntarily, willingly said, you are our God. We are your people. We give ourselves completely to you. So it's not just a random nation. So you've got to expect that under the new covenant, that is the time since Jesus came, when it says in Hebrews chapters 12 that God disciplines his children. But you can expect something like this is going to happen today in as much as God expects more from us than he does from people who don't know him. And, and then within the church, God expects more from those who are in leadership. And didn't Jesus say that? He said, if you go and lead a little one into sin, it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and jump off a, a pier compared to what I'm going to do to you. So I don't know what picture you have of Jesus, but you start messing with his kids. It's not pretty. So here we are. Jeremiah is told, don't pray for them. Now, we're going to see as we, we, we read on in this section that, that God is saying to Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Don't let their criticism affect you. Don't look to them for approval. And as we see this, I'm reminded of what Paul the Apostle wrote in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 10. He said this, For I am now, or for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, 
but to please God who tests our hearts. Whose approval matters to you? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? Whose approval? You see, the, the, the craving of approval will cause a girl to give up that which she can never get back. The craving of approval will cause a young man to drink alcohol to the point of losing control of his life. The, the, the pursuit of approval will cause a young man to commit a crime he would never have committed. Whose approval are you looking for? God is about to say to Jeremiah, don't look to these people. Don't, Jeremiah, don't, don't succumb to their scowls, their looks, their threats. And, and, and surely no one would suggest Jeremiah as being self-righteous or holier than thou or any such thing as that. But sometimes those accusations are thrown at people when we very, very sincerely, very compassionately say to people, I don't think that's right. Well, that's the trouble with you Christians. You're so up yourselves. You just think you know everything and you're so much better than us. No, 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 no. Actually, you got that completely around the wrong way. I'm a Christian. You've got to understand what that means. It means I discovered how rotten to the core I am and that I couldn't do anything about it. Please, I'm sorry if I've misrepresented what a Christian really is. So, whose approval matters to you? Let's look at verse 15. What right... Has my beloved in my house, when she has done vile deeds, can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exalt? So God is saying to these people, you think by just simply being religious, sacrificial flesh, and the Old Testament before Christ, they would offer animal sacrifices. Do you think that simply by being religious, by simply being religious, you're going to get my approval? Good night. And now we're going to be introduced to a, an interesting concept in verse 16. And God is going to talk about Israel being like a diseased olive tree. Not just a diseased tree, a diseased olive tree. Now in scripture there are two trees that feature very prominently. One is a prophetic symbol of all that is bad. We have one of these trees in our backyard. I can vouch... It is an evil, wicked, nasty tree. I have taken the chainsaw to it many, many times. And it keeps growing back. It is so bad, it was named for its badness. Fear, intimidation and guilt. That's right, the F-I-G, the fig tree. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes, it says, were opened. Remember, they just grabbed a leaf. What kind of leaf did they grab? I'm not saying. Yes, I am. Fear intimidate. Now, it's interesting. I'm, I'm being a little bit silly, a little bit silly. But the fig tree represents something that is corrupt. It is bad. Later on, Jeremiah is actually going to describe the people being taken out of Israel over to Babylon as a basket of bad figs. Now, here, God says, I called you to be an olive tree. That's a strange... Gee, that sounds random. The olive tree, the olive tree is a, is a prophetic picture in scripture. It's a prophetic picture of peace. Remember the dove came back with a, an olive branch in its mouth? I think the UN have it today as a, 
a picture of world peace, don't they? The, the, the dove with the... in its mouth. So the olive tree is a picture of peace. There's literally hundreds of varieties of olive tree. And, and when you think about what an olive tree does, the leaf can be dried and used as a herbal tea. Has anyone ever had olive tree leaf tea? Me either. But... <laughs> And, and it's amazing how they, they grow on trees and they've got, they already come marinated in vinegar and they've got those red things stuffed in them and they just fall off the tree. And, and so the, the olive can be eaten. It's a fruit. It's actually a fruit. And when it's crushed, a lot of people call olive oil because it kind of feels like oil, but it's actually olive juice. And that juice is very, very therapeutic. In fact, the healing properties of of olive juice are well known and have been well known for centuries but it it will burn like an oil and so it was olive oil that was prescribed to be used in the temple worship in the tabernacle worship they the priests had to fill up the, the candle this kind of hollow candle with with olive oil and it burned and gave light and it became, a, whenever, they, whenever they anointed a king, they would take a, a flask of olive oil and, and pour it over the head of a king. So the olive oil became a picture of the Holy Spirit. So olive oil has these wonderful prophetic uh, pictures. I could go on about olive tree. The wood is used in a certain way as well. The the olives can be eaten. So an olive tree. So it, it's just really interesting when you think about it that the, the, the leaves can be used for drinking. The, the fruit uh, can be used as well. The oil is used as well. And this is what God gives as a picture of how he wanted his people to be fruitful. Here's the other thing about an olive tree. It can grow in the most harsh conditions. You don't need good soil for an olive tree to grow. In fact, it'll grow in the rockiest driest soil you can throw at it it's an amazing tree you see why it's a prophetic picture of what god's after the prophetic picture is that god wants to plant his people like olive trees so that they bear fruit even in dry barrenness even when the conditions are not favorable to your growth god calls us to grow and here god says you are meant to be an olive tree but notice what he says in verse 16 the lord once called you a green olive tree beautiful with good fruit but with the roar of a great tempest he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed why because that's what you do to a diseased olive tree if you don't burn them the disease will spread to the other trees in the grove you've got to burn it you've got no choice you've got to get rid of this thing there is no hope it's not like you can trim a few leaves off and hope it grows back there's no hope you've got to burn it You've got to get rid of it. And this is what God was saying of the people. We read in verse 17. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. So we're now going to see this is God's verdict on Israel. And God is also speaking to Jeremiah here. And now God is about to reveal something to Jeremiah that he didn't know. And he's writing this down and he's publicly declaring this. So this, this is God revealing secrets. And we, we read this in verse 18. 
that God is able to reveal the secrets of hearts. You may have a secret that you're hoping no one knows, but I tell you right now, God knows. Whatever secret you've got, God knows. So we read in Jeremiah 11 verse 18, The Lord made it known to me and I knew it. Then you showed me their deeds. Now what is he talking about? We keep reading in verse 19. But I was like a gentle lamb. I didn't know what was being plotted against me, the prophet says. Led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. Here's an interesting contrast. You are a diseased tree. I'm not. And the diseased tree says, before we get burned, let's cut him down. And Jeremiah wasn't aware of the schemes, the contract out on his life. And so God has revealed that Jeremiah would be, the word is vindicated. Vindicated means to be shown to be right. So the prophet Jeremiah is about to be vindicated. We read in verse 20, But O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. There's, there's a lot in that, that that Jeremiah knows. God will judge everybody. God sees the secrets of the heart and he, he hears the voice that's happening in your mind right now. God knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in your heart. And God will judge. The Bible says, Revelation 20, that the very last day, all the dead will stand before God. And it says the books, not just the book, not just the book of life, not just that book that says you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. That's the book of life, not just that one, but the books, the books, the book of our prayers, the book of our words, the book of our actions, all going to be open. And out of those books, we will be judged. Jeremiah knew that. And he's saying, God, I know you're going to do that one day, but right now I need you to come through. And God does. God does. God will one day judge the world. The scripture talks about that. In Acts 17, 31, it says this, because he has, this is God, fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus Christ. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In Revelation, I mentioned it before, it says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So there will come a day when God will judge. But now Jeremiah is asking God, come through now. We read in verse 21, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life. Now, Anathoth, big deal. No, this is where Jeremiah is from. These are his school buddies. These are the kids he grew up with. These are his, these are his mates that have turned on him. Man, that must have hurt. See the price of being a prophet? Sometimes you've got to do the right thing even when people turn against you. And Jeremiah had to go through that kind of pain. Do not prophesy, this is what they said, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. 
So Jeremiah was experiencing opposition, persecution from these people, their looks, their words, their threats. But Jeremiah is transacting with God right here. This is God speaking to Jeremiah as well as Jeremiah speaking to God. So what do we know about Jeremiah at this point? He's discovered that God's approval was enough. Yet God's approval, that's enough. You can live with that. Verse 22, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by the famine. Verse 23, And none of them shall be left, for I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. What did Jeremiah discover in this exchange? These were his countrymen. These were the people of his hometown. These were the people he went to school with. These are the kids he played out on the street with. And now they were threatening him with murder. They wanted him dead. They were slandering him. They had betrayed him. They were accusing him of all sorts of things. What did Jeremiah discover? He discovered this truth. People will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. What else did Jeremiah discover? He discovered this. When you're on God's business, you're under God's protection. When you're on God's business, you're under God's protection. God protects his servants. God will protect his servants. What did Jeremiah discover? We hark back to the opening chapter of Jeremiah and God warned Jeremiah, this will happen. This will happen. They will hate you. They will want to kill you. They will try and silence you. And we read in Jeremiah, God saying this to the 13-year-old Jeremiah. Don't fear them. Don't be afraid of their looks. And Christian, the same thing could be said by Jesus to us today. Don't be put off. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be embarrassed by me. If someone asks you, what did you do on Sunday? I went to uh, you know, just, just stuff. Don't be afraid of Jesus. I went to church. You don't even need the PA right now because I'm going to let them know over there. I went to church on Sunday. You went to church? Yeah, I went to church. What's it to you? <laughs> you remember I was saying before about, you know, being foolish? That, that, you may have just crossed a line about there, but... <laughs> But the idea, don't be timid. I went to church. Yeah, I went to church. I love Jesus. I'm on his team. I come to cheer him on. I'm, I'm, he's cheering me on. I'm on his team. We're teammates. I'm on Jesus' team. It's good preaching, Andrew. So don't be timid about serving God. So what do you do? Well, you know, I've got a day job. What I really do is I just do whatever God wants me to do. Ooh, you're one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them. And I'm here to help you. What can I do to help you? How can I help you? And that's why rolling up the sleeves and helping people move furniture and taking meals around to people and doing what we can shows them that we really do care. We really do care. So what does God want from us? Well, we read... That when we, when we commit our lives to God, Romans 8.31, Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, 
talks about if God is for us, who can be against us? What have you got to fear? If God is for you, who can be against you? And we, we should cooperate with God to become like olive trees. I haven't got time, but I would love to go into the fact that Jesus cursed a fig tree, but then he went and spent his final hours among olive trees. That's what Gethsemane means, the grove of olives, where they press the olives. Very prophetic. Let's pray. Father, we we do want you to have your way in our life. And Lord, I've said some hard things. I've said some heavy things that I hope have merely been a reflection of what your word says for our good. Now, Lord, help us to hear what you want to say to us and help us to respond appropriately. Father, if there are those who are listening to me right now, either by the video webcast that's happening live right now or by radio, by MP3, listening in their car, listening in their kitchen, listening as they go for a walk, and, and they don't know Jesus. And if that's you, you're listening somewhere in the world right now, watching somewhere in the world right now, and you know that you don't know Jesus, I invite you to pray that prayer, asking him to forgive you of sin, that one obstacle between you and knowing him, and to come into your life. And perhaps you're here today and you know you've not really lived like an olive tree. You've not bloomed where you're planted. You haven't produced the kind of fruit God's expecting. You haven't allowed him to take your life and put it through the press to draw the oil of his anointing out of your life. Then I'm inviting you to pray a prayer that says, Oh God, today I dedicate my life to you afresh and I pray that you would have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah discovered that being a prophet had its price. More from Dr. Corbett in this series on Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 26, The Prophet's Price, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you missed the introduction to the Jeremiah series, you can receive a complimentary DVD copy just by writing to us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. If you're listening outside Australia, for a gift of any amount to cover shipping, email your details to us to request your complimentary DVD. The emailing address, mail at findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.